Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege this morning to start a new sermon series with you, a sermon series called Afterlife. What happens next? Now, I know you're really curious about what happens next because I'm very curious about what happens next. But while we wait about that conversation, I'm going to actually talk about the present just for a second. I want to talk to you about the present just for a second because I have something for you this morning, something to help you navigate the present, your present life a little bit better. Okay, this morning, I'm going to teach you how to become rich in two easy steps. You guys ready? Anyone want some extra money this week? Right, I'm going to teach you how. It's very simple, okay? Just two things. All you have to do is two things. The first thing that you have to do is have a near-death experience, and then you have to write a book on it. All right? Pretty simple. So have that near-death experience this week, and then you write a book on it. And then you put it on Amazon, you put it into your local bookstores, and guess what's going to happen? It's going to sell. And people's curiosity will have them go and read your book, and because of their curiosity, they will pay for your retirement, they will pay for your mortgage. They will pay for your kids to go to college. They will pay for you to go to that trip to Hawaii you've always wanted to go to because people are fascinated by what happens next. And they are fascinated with near-death experiences. So that's all you have to do. Just those two things. You pull off those two things and you are going to be set. Now, if that sounds like an infomercial, it's intended to sound like an infomercial. But let's look at some of these books because what I'm saying actually does play out that way because we are naturally curious about what happens next. And so when people write these books, they fly off the shelves. Uh, one of these books you might have heard of before, you might actually own it. I know I owned it for a little bit of my life. It was called Heaven is for Real. This book was released in 2010. It sold 11 million copies, over 11 million copies. Now, if you're wondering how that translates into money, conservatively, you can just guess that each book is at least worth $1 to the author. That's over $11 million for the author of this book because they had an experience and they documented it. Now, if you're not familiar with the book, but you've seen the movie, you know that even more money was associated with that. But let me tell you about the story. What happened was there was a young boy, his, his name was Colton Burbo, and he had a near-death experience. He had to go in for emergency surgery. And when he had that, he went to heaven. And he came back with a story, and he put it into the book later on in his life. And as he documented it, this is some of the details in the book, he went to heaven. He, he was a believer. His dad was a pastor, actually. So he goes to heaven, and he sees Jesus. He sees God the Father. He sees God the Holy Spirit. He sees believers there. And he tells us about what he sees. So he says that God has yellow hair, blue eyes, that Jesus rode around on a rainbow-colored horse, and the Holy Spirit was bluish, but kind of hard to see. As far as the people, he saw all sorts of people from different times. However, they were all the exact same age. For example, he ran into his great-grandfather, 
but his great-grandfather was now the same age as him. And he also ran into his sister, who his mother miscarried along the pregnancy journey, and they were the same age too. So everyone he saw in heaven was the exact same age. That was his experience. Now, of course, other people have had their own experiences. And in 2012, a book was written that, that rocketed to the number one bestsellers list at the New York Times, and it was called Proof of Life. But this was written by a person who did not believe in Jesus, didn't have a Christian worldview. In fact, he was a neuroscientist and neurosurgeon, and his name was Dr. Alexander. And Dr. Alexander had his own experience. He documents it, and it sold over two million copies. Once again, he did very well for himself. But his experience was significantly different than Colton's. You see, in his heaven, in his afterlife, it was a place where everyone ended up. It didn't matter if you were good or bad or what you did in this life. Everyone ended up in this place, as he described it, as a place of peace where everyone was there, from Mother Teresa all the way down to Hitler. Everyone fit in his heaven, his experience of heaven. Now, before these books were written, there was another book that maybe you're familiar with. It was written in 2004. It was called 90 Minutes in Heaven. It was written by a Baptist pastor. He once again had a near-death experience. He went to heaven, but strangely enough, his experience with heaven was different than the neuroscientist and also the other little boy who also was a follower of Christ. You see, in his experience, he did see God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, all things you kind of would expect. He saw the, the paved roads of gold and things like that. But when he looked at the people, the believers who were there, they weren't all the same age. You see, in, in Don Piper's account, all the people were the same age in which they had died. So if you died at 107, you were 107 for all of eternity. If you died at two, you were two for all of eternity. This was his experience. Now, before all these books were written, there actually was a book written in 1975, which was really a book that, that lifted these ideas of near-death experiences to the forefront of the conversation. This book was called Life After Life, and it was written by a psychiatrist named Dr. Moody. Now, Dr. Moody, he didn't have his own near-death experience. He just simply listened to a bunch of people who had had these experiences. In fact, 150 people he talked to who'd had these experiences. And then what he did was he gleaned from them what he thought was kind of the commonalities and he put it into his book and he sold 13 million copies of this book. Very popular. Once again, he did very well for himself by, by just sharing this information and people's curiosity took care of the rest. And so in his experience, he was, once again, was not a believer in Jesus. In his experience, what he thought or what he gleaned from these people is that heaven or the afterlife was simply a place where, as he described it, there was no rewards and no punishments. Once again, just a, a collaboration of everyone who'd ever existed all ends up in this same spot. Now, there was one more book I'm going to tell you about because there was one guy who actually took a very different approach. You see, where everyone else was going, leaning into the heaven or the place of perfection, this guy actually had an experience that he described as being in hell. His book is called 23 Minutes in Hell. This guy's name is Bill Weiss, and, and Bill Weiss had a vision or experience or however he class, classified it, and he actually went to hell in his book. And as he described it, hell was in the center of the earth, actually the, the core of the earth. And he said he saw demons, he saw rats that were sized dogs, he saw snakes as big as trains, and he had one very specific detail that hell was 300 degrees. 
I don't know how he knew that, but he knew exactly. It was 300 degrees. He said it was zero humidity, which for a Midwesterner, what would we say? Well, it's a dry heat. That's not even a big deal. Every one of these people had an experience, and I believe they're probably sincere, at least for the most part, and they documented it, and they made a lot of money doing it. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a, a lot of money, and that's not really the issue. The issue is this. We should have a, a red flag when it comes to these books. The reason that we should have a red flag when it comes to these books is because all these books, and even many more that I haven't mentioned, they all talk about the hereafter, the afterlife, heaven and hell, but they're all different, which means they can't all be right, but they can all definitely be wrong. So as believers, we're gonna do what scripture tells us to do. We are gonna test all things in light of scripture, which means over the next five weeks, we're gonna be having this conversation about the afterlife. And we're gonna take God's word very seriously, like we always do. We're gonna take Christ's promises very seriously like we always should. We're gonna take his work on the cross, we're gonna take his resurrection very seriously, and we're gonna dive into God's word, and we're gonna see what heaven really will be like. What will the afterlife really be like? What does God really say in his perfect word about heaven and hell and the hereafter? So as we begin this conversation, we're gonna start in an unlikely spot today, we're going to start in the book of Hebrews, and this is what is written. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. Now, like I said, this is a kind of a strange place to begin a conversation about heaven, and if you have some awareness of the Bible, you're probably thinking, you know, where you should have started is the book of Revelation. And I agree with you, but I think this is the, the reality is we are going to get there, but you're not ready for that yet, right? We actually need to start someplace else. In fact, what we need to find and what we need to know before we get there is captured right in Abraham's story in the book of Hebrews. Now, if you know Abraham's story, you know a little bit about it. He was given this amazing promise by God. God told him that through Abraham, he was going to develop this amazing nation, and he was going to bless the world through this nation. And ultimately, he was going to bless the world through the lineage of this nation, which was Jesus Christ. Of course, we celebrated his resurrection last week, his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. He overcame death and shows that he was the victor over death. This is the promise that God gives to Abraham. A promise that Abraham has the potential to receive or reject. Right, he has the promise to trust God and believe God and follow God. We call this faith or to not. But Abraham, for the most part, was an amazing man of faith. He had some wrinkles along the way in his life. He made some mistakes. But for the most part, he, he took this promise of God very seriously. In fact, his faith is very impressive. And the reason I say it's very impressive is because of what is going on in his life when he receives this promise. You see, when this promise is given by God to Abraham... Abraham is 75 years old. 75 years old. Now, I want you to think about your life. What's going on when you're 75 years old? When you're 75 years old, you're probably retired. Right? You've worked through the messiness of life. 
You've established yourself. You have your friends. You have your family. You have your home. You have everything kind of the way you want it. And now you're ready to just enjoy life. That's where Abraham is. But God gives him this promise that he's going to use him in a powerful way, but it's going to require him to move and to uproot himself. Everything that he's worked on, everything he's developed, he's going to have to leave that behind. And Abraham says, yes, which is amazing to me because I don't know if I could. It's amazing. He says, yes, and he goes. Now, why would he do this? Well, partly because God told him, and you kind of listen when God shows up and says something to you, but we don't always do that, do we? But I think the other part that's that's driving Abraham is is he's just like us. He's human just like us. And just like us, if we're experiencing brokenness or pain or suffering in some area of our life, what do we do? We make a change. This is why in high school you had that girlfriend and it wasn't going well, and so you broke up with her. This is why in college you went to take that degree that you're certain that you were going to do for the rest of your life and it got challenging and you switched your degree. This is why when you got older you had that house and it kind of wasn't working the way you wanted until you bought a new house. Right? Our humanity experiences brokenness and then we leave it and go to a place where we perceive will be less broken. But what do we find on the other side? Uh, more brokenness. Or at least a different form of brokenness. That's one high school when you broke up with your girlfriend and then you walked away, then you wanted her back. That's why when you changed your degree to the other degree, you changed it back. That's why when you left your house because you thought you hated this house, then you got the new house, and now you hated the new house and you missed the old house. Because everywhere we go in life, we will experience brokenness. But brokenness drives us to do things. And Abraham was open to God's movement probably partly because of the brokenness of of what he was experiencing in life, right? It wasn't quite what he wanted it to be. And so he left, and this is what he found. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now, once again, what is the promise Abraham has received from God? God is going to bless him, make him a great nation, and bless the whole world through him. But what does this look like? It doesn't seem like a blessing, does it? It says he's living in a foreign land. And what does that mean? Well, he feels uncomfortable and awkward. He doesn't quite fit in and people don't really fit in with him. And he's living not in a home. He's living in tents. And not only that, but his next generation and the generation after that is doing the exact same thing. What's amazing to me about Abraham is he doesn't just stop what he's doing and go back. Because he left here to go here, and this was much worse than here, and so it's shocking that he didn't go back and just give up on the whole thing. But he doesn't. He stays focused. Now, why is he focused? Well, the book tells us. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. How did Abraham stay focused on the promise? because he he focused on what was to come. He focused on this city. Now, what is this city? Well, it's Jerusalem, sort of. But to understand the value of Jerusalem and the importance of Jerusalem, we need to understand how God used Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was the place where the temple was. This is where God came down and met man. Now, when Jesus showed up, he was the temple that actually walked through Jerusalem and interacted with people thus making the temple unnecessary 
because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was God meeting with us. And that's why Jesus made that prediction the temple is going to be wiped out. And after he died on the cross, he was resurrected and ascended to heaven. Then the temple, as predicted, was wiped out. Right? Because God had come to man and walked among us. Now, of course, that was just a shadow of things to come. Because in the future, there's a new Jerusalem, or as we would call it, heaven. A place where brokenness is no more. A place where God and man, they have this perfect united relationship where we walk together once again and we experience life once again together and this is what drove Abraham this is what allowed him to get through the brokenness of life and keep moving forward for what God had promised we'll see what else what we'll see what else God's word has for us by faith he received power of procreation even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised therefore from one person and this one as good as dead descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So if you know Abraham's story, you also know that not only was he asked to leave everything he knew at 75, but when he got to 100, he ran into a real big snag about this building a nation thing. He didn't have any kids. He was no kids yet. And what does the scripture say? It says he was good as dead he had experienced the brokenness of life, right? His body was falling apart. He was old. He was 100 years old at this point in time. And he had this promise that he would still have a kid. And what we see in Abraham's life is, is a faithful man who God works a miracle through. In order to bring Jesus into the world, the one who would overcome death and the grave, God had to overcome death in Abraham. And he brought the son forward. He brought the son forward Isaac, and then Jacob, and generation after generation after generation, all the way to Jesus Christ. Well, the scripture continues. All those who died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear they're seeking a homeland. So not only did Abraham and his future offspring have this focus on the city, but because they had this focus on this new city, this heaven, right, where God and man, once again, were connected in perfect unity and perfect relationship, because he had this focus on that, he was uncomfortable with this life. It says he, he experienced life as a foreigner and a stranger. He knew that he did not belong because God uses this tension to get our attention, right? When we experience brokenness in this life, this is when God can connect with us. And this is when we want to connect with God. Think about the brokenness in your life. Didn't you want to connect with God? Didn't you reach out to God? When you got that diagnosis, what did you start doing? You began to pray. When your marriage was on the rocks, what did you do? You started praying. When that test was coming or that big game was coming up, you began to pray because it's in the brokenness of life that we begin to seek out God because why because we know something is broken in this life because there is something broken in this life this was not meant to be our home and we know that deep within our soul that's why we have this curiosity about the next life because we know something's not right about this life and so God uses this brokenness to draw us to himself to make us open to him 
And if that's true, and it is true, that's why the opposite is also true. When we're comfortable, when everything's going well, we tend to disconnect from God because we don't need God anymore. This is how Jesus said it. He said, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, what was he saying? He's saying that he hates rich people? No, he's not saying he hates rich people. What he's saying is when we're comfortable, when we have riches, we tend to insulate ourselves from the troubles of this life. We insulate ourselves from the brokenness of of this life. And what happens? We begin to feel very much at home here. We don't feel like a stranger or a foreigner. We feel like we belong here. And when we feel like this is home, we don't feel that brokenness. Well, we begin to disconnect from Jesus. And there's two powerful things in here for us this morning. If you're a follower of Christ, there's two very significant things tucked into the scripture for us. You see, one, we need to realize that, that brokenness opens us up to wanting to be a part of a relationship with God. Which means when we see people going through brokenness, we need to lean in, not walk away. One, to serve them and to help them, but two, they're open now to realizing that they don't belong here. Right? This is not where their true home is supposed to be. And so in people's brokenness, we lean in, we can tell them about Jesus, the one who overcomes death, the one who has something better planned for them. But there's also a warning in here for us that if we have too much comfort, if we insulate ourselves too much from this life and we don't experience brokenness, what happens? We just naturally disconnect from God because we don't need God anymore, right? This feels very much like our home. Well, there's one more section we're gonna cover yet today. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. What was the desire of their heart? When they knew there were foreigners and strangers, right? They felt that tension. They felt that brokenness. They knew there had to be something better. Well, they looked forward to a heavenly one. But God didn't force them to. It says that he actually would give them the opportunity to go back. Abraham, in this moment, went from his life here to this broken life here. And if he was me, I probably would have gone back because it's uncomfortable and awkward and I don't like it and, and God said he was going to bless me and I don't feel like this is actually a blessing. You see, Abraham had this opportunity. He said God would have let him go back. But thankfully, Abraham didn't. Because if Abraham would have, he would have missed out on being a part of the biggest story the earth has ever seen, the story of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes in our life, we probably fall into that same trap. We get uncomfortable. God has called us to something special. And we start walking down that path and it gets difficult and it gets hard and we don't want to go any further. And so we, we walk out just before God's going to do something amazing through us. The thing that will define us. We get to be a part of his story. But Abraham kept moving forward. He kept his focus on heaven He kept his focus on his future home. He kept his focus on what awaits. So what awaits? Well, simplistically, heaven awaits. Heaven awaits. So what does heaven look like? Well, we're going to answer that over the next four weeks. We're not going to get to that today because we aren't ready for that today. Right now, we just need to land in this place and this space. We just need to see the world for what it is. 
It's broken. It's falling apart. It's never going to be fully healed in our lifetime. Not until Jesus does something. Not until God does something. But it's in this brokenness, it's in this tension that God gets our attention. It's in the tensions of our life that God gets our attention and he wants to show us that there is a better way and there's a better place and there's a better plan for us. And it's in this tension that God grabs our hearts and pulls us to himself and shows us that this is not our home. We are foreigners and strangers. And someday, he's going to reveal that home to us because of the work of Jesus Christ and because of our relationship with him. Hey